and welcome to Seize the GM. If you're looking to get started GMing, we're here to help. And if you're a GM with a few levels under your experience belt, we are here to help you find your prestige class. Let us take you through some common questions, concerns, and the fun challenges that every GM will face. We have our ideas, our opinions, and some might even say answers that we want to share. So pull up a chair, dust off your dice, and let us help you seize the GM. And welcome back to another episode of Seize the GM. You lucky people. It's good to hear your voices absolutely cheering all of us on through the internet. (laughs) Is that what they're doing? Um, yes. Oh, okay. Awesome. Okay, then I ought to put... Hmm. (laughs) So, well, so last episode... We discussed building a campaign. And this time we're going to continue working on a campaign setting. Well, the same campaign, campaign setting. Yeah. We're not going to start a new one yet. Yeah, and double bonus might. if you binge it. If you binge this, you can get all of the episodes for building a campaign all on one fell swoop. But if you're listening on a weekly basis, you got to wait another week for the next one. So, um, all right. So the first one we did was all about the, the theme that we were going to be using. And this time we're going to talk more about the actual setting itself with some locales that will be kind of used as I would say kind they're of like setting, a recurring character. Yeah, they're, they're, they're yeah. part of the setting. It's where we see events happening. It's where we think things might occur. It's, you know, places we want to describe once. And it, yeah, and it also can be as a, a part in the plot, you know, at these kind of important locations where the plot can turn and you as the GM are in control of this, the way you kind of want it, you know, kind of push uh, your players into a, hey, this this might lead to part B or part C. It's it's like a multi-part treasure map kind of a thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I also really like to have locales and, and kind of these building blocks of places that I can improv from. Well, I'm much more of a plotter, planner, you know, kind of architect style of GM, it's also good to have places you're comfortable enough with and confident enough with that you can just spin something off from the top of your head. And so that's also something I'll look at. Before we get too much further in, what we're going to do is kind of read off some of the, the brainstormed ideas and each take a turn telling you, you know, which one of those really jumped out at us and that, that we kind of started developing into an area or, or locale to use. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's see here. So we'll just 
go round robin and I'll start, then go to Monger, then Jules. So first one is Smithsonian. Maybe some Grecian ruins. An alchemy or a chemist's lab. An old library. Spooky derelict ship. The asteroid belt, either here or far off in the stars. A newly terraformed planet. Or maybe an old worn out world with patches on its elbows. Or maybe a crashed alien ship, positive or negative. Mm. A space station. Or maybe a perennial favorite in RPGs, a good old-fashioned or newfangled drinking establishment. Don't knock it. Uh, Richard Feynman frequented those quite a bit, and he is absolutely awesome. Well, and that's, it's a staple for a reason. So, keep that in mind. So Now, depending on how far in the future you're listening to this, at one point before the great pandemic plagues that swept the planet, we did congregate regularly in places with other people we did not know. And these drinking establishments reflect those habits and, and beliefs that one could be in a room with 50 or 60 people you did not know laughing and maybe even singing karaoke. And the Those thing are- is, they've, <laughs> they've shown up in sci-fi establishments. I mean, Mos Eisley Cantina, the most wretched hive of scum and villainy. I mean, it's, it's part of the zeitgeist. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, I mean, these are, these are all, you know, just generalized locations that we thought, we'll throw these all together, we'll pick, a, we'll pick some, and how they tied back into those themes that we picked in the very first episode. And those... Two that we picked were the search for truth as well as hope doesn't come free. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to f- go ahead and figure out basically how each of us would use a location and how it tied back into that theme. So, go to Manger. Which one did you do? I really got smitten with the idea of a space station. Uh, There needs to be one, in my opinion. But in particular, I'm going to focus on the idea of the main space station hosting kind of a democratic polis of the asteroid belt inhabitants. I kind of uh, grabbed a few other things to to drag along with my space station. Um, This is going to let me incorporate a lot of other locales as needed, like an asteroid belt, a drinking establishment. Let me draw inspiration from everything from The Expanse to Babylon 5, two of my favorites, if you've been listening along for a while. And it's also going to be something I can build a lot out of from the theme. If politically uh, there has to be a physical presence for groups to have a, a, a voice to make this binding vote, there's a huge amount of political intrigue that I can work from there. It can be a staging platform for commercial or exploratory ventures. So hope isn't free, doesn't come free. Well, 
we're going to have to deal with the political trade-offs of what's good for the many may cause some pain to the few. There's a chance that the players are going to have to choose loyalty between two different factions that just doesn't have a right answer. The search for truth, literally. One of my favorite stories is the idea, story hooks of, hey, I have a treasure map. I need you guys to go help me get whatever the treasure is. And a space station is one great way to do it. Cool. Indeed. I like it. Yeah, and Babylon 5 is just so awesome. It also is on HBO Max, and so I may have just like been watching a lot of it lately, so that could explain a few things. <laughs> it happens. So you you stuck with you know a space station. So I went with the idea of a, a derelict ship. Because this one is a location that you can pretty easily tie into both of those themes that we've got. But I'm actually going to focus more on the hope doesn't come free theme. That's because the ship that is derelict, it's it was an arc ship, which for those of you that don't know, arc ships are theoretically a ship that you would basically have everything you need food, water, air, for generations. And basically, you load a whole bunch of people on one, and you shoot it into space at another planet. And that is, you know, basically the hope of mankind getting away from the soul system. Now, why exactly is it derelict, and not as far as it should be from home? this could be the beginning of questions that a ship like that can actually raise. So it's not just that why, you know, hope isn't, you know, doesn't come free, but it's also the, sh the search for truth. Both of them tied in there pretty nice and easily into something like this. If you're going to use it. And Jules, what did you pick? <laughs> uh, well, I, I live right outside the D.C. area. I had to go with the Smithsonian. Uh, the thing is, the Smithsonian can work in almost any type of sci-fi setting. It is a treasure trove of so many scientific uh, history samples, and there are so many different disciplines that are housed within the Smithsonian system. So it's great for searching for the truth, you know, that kind of a, a theme. There's people you can talk to that have various uh, expertise and, you know, the players can bounce ideas off each other. Uh, they can bring in data that they've discovered that's really weird. And there's probably something there, maybe in cold storage that they can kind of work with and kind of like, you know, it's ba it's like ba banging two science rocks together and see what it shows you. And the nice thing is also is the, Smoney, this, ugh, the Smithsonian is a part of a huge network and it has a lot of connections. So, you know, wouldn't be surprised if 
you know, you find some really weird physics thing and they talk to them, they can probably put you in contact with CERN or, you know, something like that. I mean, it, it's a one-stop shop if you're trying to figure out we've got something cool, sciencey and weird and we want to know what's going on with it. Where do we go next? So it helps the players, at least for me, get would get a idea of they would get information enough to formulate their own questions to figure out where they want to go next. And the nice thing is also the Smithsonian. I mean, you can visit it virtually and, you know, so you can kind of like beef up on, you know, what kind of stuff would they have there? You know, uh, what kind of different uh, uh, displays and, and events and, uh, you know, things might they have there. So, you know, you go to the Air and Space Museum or they might be having something on virtual reality. You know, so and you could see what they've had in the past and create something that they're hosting now that fits in perfectly or close enough tangentially to what the party's uh, working with. Nice. Yeah, it's and it's kind of fun. And here's the thing. If you're ever able to just meander around any of the Smithsonian museums, you might get inspiration for ideas of things you can pull into your game, too. So it's also good if you get uh you know, not just for searching for the truth, but it also can help you search for, okay, what are really some neat plot hooks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can totally see that. So, so without preparation, just kind of sitting here on the fly, I want to know how you would use the other two ideas that, that were chosen. Because I didn't know what, you know, Zen and Jules had chosen before we sat down to record. So I'm curious, how would you use Zen, my space station, and Jules Smithsonian? Well, okay, so we're going to stick with, we have to stay within the existing space station that you've got, right? Yes. Okay. Just want to clarify, because, you know, that's... So, okay, you've got basically a great kind of political, democratic group of individuals. So while I probably wouldn't go with a lot of uh, true politics, I would probably have there be a whole lot of capitalism, digging through asteroids, finding things that either aren't something that we know of even that are in there, or maybe even something that this space station is actually built into an existing one of the really big asteroids as they're actually working on mining that and creating an even bigger space station to the point where it almost becomes its own planet base for sending things further out into either the outer planets or maybe even past those to, like, you know, the edge of the Kuiper Belt. is what I would probably do with the space station. Interesting. I, I do then, something I do something different with it though. 
because okay. the thing is, if you think of a space station and that whole politic thing, the one thing, and I have seen this in person, is, and I'm, I'm sure some of you guys have read articles, is the politics of science, defending an idea, having it shout down. And the thing is, if, if it's a space station like that, think about it. It's it's there there's all these other kind of t uh, politics going there but focusing on the politic of science and if anyone's seen Futurama and you've seen the the whole uh Warnstrom versus Professor Farnsworth kind of a thing yep which is a weird goofball extreme example but it's that kind of a thing and you know you are you are in space where certain choices might have much far reaching impacts and you know, people discussing science in a bubble versus how a science thought or aspect would be effective while, you know, on a real live space station, the the impact is much larger. And, you know, it's, it's rather than debating theories versus, OK, if we do this and we screw up, we turn the sun into a Taurus and we all explode. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because that's, you know. That's one of the things like you, you can got there's a lot of room to play with this. So, OK, now, how would I use the Smithsonian? I probably would not have it be an actual physical location anymore. I would have had Earth be pretty well beaten up to the point where very few things are actually left here. There'd be a lot more smaller stations orbiting the actual what's actually left of the Earth, because mankind is pretty horrible when it comes to how it handles the environment, as we've seen. So I figure they would have pushed out and started to colonize smaller created basically smaller satellite locations around the earth itself and then some of the really big ones would become like the centers of countries but then they would have all of their locations all over the place and the smithsonian would actually be almost like another entity like a country where all of the information all over the world kind of piped into. And then they could control who gets access to what based on the politics of the different locations that you're wanting. Like if they want to get something from someone, well, maybe they have to cut off access to this one part of something from another country. So you've got a lot of, you can have a lot of that political infighting just within how people can interact with the Smithsonian. That's how I'd use it. Hey, Gautamange, how would you use the Smithsonian? I'm, I, I'm thinking actually back to uh, the episode's uh, Silence of the, of the Library in Doctor Who and the library, the, the planet-sized library, which always just struck me like the Smithsonian and having, for a period of my life, uh, lived 25 miles outside of D.C. And, and 
gone to a different Smithsonian every month with my family is, you know, a thing that we did because that's my family and the kind of stuff that we did growing up. Um, so that's kind of what I would take it with. Similar to where Zen was going with it, not necessarily being about going to the current physical location. I would use that as one of the main bootstraps for whatever uh, internet cyberspace kind of structure I'd build out in the world. And so right. uh, accessing it is something I would possibly allow a level of freedom to. Um, if you're in a place where you can get signals, you can get to the Smithsonian. And like you said, there's a lot of information in there that can solve a lot of, of problems, questions, riddles. And so making players deal with the signal-to-noise concept. Uh, oh, yeah. Players, yeah, players having to deal with how much junk data is out there. Not, not bad, but just... There is so much information that trying to figure out what you are looking for or what matters uh, can be hard. And tie it into the search for truth by means of that you know, kind of signal-noise question about uh, how much information is too much. Think about today where the question is whether social media is positive or negative. Are we seeing too much? Is there too much input that we get? And it's that same sort of question, and just take it a few steps more abstract and, and do it that way. Yeah. Interesting. A, a, actually, almost an interesting take on information paralysis, too. Yep. And finding yeah. a way, it, and eh, hey, you're giving your player some real-world uh, techniques for dealing with <laughs> dealing with stuff out there. Look, this is one of those things where I can start getting into, like, theories and concepts of self and, and the daily me versus the filter bubble and things that I literally can talk about for hours. But instead, uh, the derelict ship is kind of one of those fun ideas. Uh, I, I want to thank Derek for adding that arc ship idea to it because that also lets me have something that the Smithsonian won't have an answer to. As an unknown quantity, it, it is something they won't be able to find the answer to in their you know reliable Smithsonian. You can't just Google this answer. So what do you do? And that is something I would use to kind of shift the the challenge to the players. Where you know Zen noted my space station concept kind of revolves around you know political and social intrigue. If a derelict arc ship that you can't communicate with is on a crash course with this space station which physically holds the leaders of a whole bunch of uh, asteroid-dwelling zero-G humans and the, their importance if we're talking about, you know, uh, all of these physically being present, do you evacuate or not? If you do, who are you helping and what are you getting off? If you're evacuating people, how much food, water, an air do you really have access to? And if you've got limited, you know, limited FTL, if we're, we're talking about limited abilities to, to break the laws of physics as we know it, you're either going to have to make really hard choices about what's true, 
or you're going to have to go on possibly a, a suicide mission to a derelict arc ship that is set to run into the, the space station and, and possibly pull off uh, a crazy 90s popcorn flick um, yeah. action adventure to divert it. Yeah, I can totally see that. Indeed. <clears throat> I guess, well, me with the derelict, it's... I guess for me, it, there's that whole idea of a mystery. But for me, it would be like, if it's for me, derelict is like, um, if anyone's ever played Bioshock, you're kind of coming into a uh, a kind of libertarian utopia that has absolutely fallen, but you have to piece it together from audio logs and stuff like that I to piece it together. So I'd like it going around it like something like that, having it like a like like a mystery. Is this technological? Is there a biological? Was there fighting? Was there infighting? Uh, was there neuroses and seeing how the players would kind of investigate, would they go in and search for documents and audio logs or they, would they search for survivors or, you know, cause you're kind of going into the, the ship itself kind of almost in medias res where they have, where the players have absolutely no idea. So it's, it's this weird kind of like, what happened here is this it's this wonderful mystery but you're able to use like science and science fiction aspects to kind of investigate so you know it's you know i i like that kind of an idea so you're still able to give you know a mystery a question something like that that they can you know and each character that they have if they're like uh, and if are they an investigator are they a researcher are they the bodyguard um pilot stuff like that and giving them something like that everyone can go and try kind of like i'm using bunny rivers their own thing to see what they would you know how would they how would they react to finding something like that and you know you can you you know you can do something like what happened uh, in dead space or um event horizon there's a, there's a thousand and one different ways you can do it and depending on the strength of and, and weaknesses of your team, you can build that mystery so everyone in there would also have a chance to shine. Yep. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so that's me. It's like, I like that. You know, and here's the thing. When I read Derelict Ship, you're going to laugh. I remember thinking back to uh, playing a video game called Retur uh, Return of the Obra Dinn uh, by Lucas Pope. and Pretty much you have to put together what happened on the ship from, you know, that kind of, uh, I mean, this is like old nautical sailing kind of thing, but it's that same kind of, I thought about that, I'm like, ooh, that's the kind of concept. So, yeah. Yeah. So now you guys have seen a few locations that we've done and how we tied them all back into our general themes that we wanted to do. So next episode, we are going to start talking about some of the major beats that are going to happen in the campaign and how those are all going to tie back into locales and our themes. Like you, we're building as we go. And just so. so you understand what we're talking about, at least for me, when we talk about those like major beats, 
I'm building around places where the player's choices and actions will make a difference. Uh, particular scenes where players have to resolve, where their characters have to resolve some kind of a challenge or conflict. And that resolution is going to you know, kind of help set up what frames or what context is in the next stage of that game. From as simple as a shootout to as lofty as a, a, an election. Yeah. Yeah, all of those things. And we're going to be using these locations as well as we'll probably have to tie in a few more. But those locations, we may just drop like a name, like it's this, and just kind of leave it at that. So these are going to be the ones that we we spent a little more time on. But there will obviously have to be other locations that that's why we're going to leave them kind of blank so that you can develop more yourself so that it fits more into your players mm -hmm. goal as well. So, well, I guess that kind of wraps this up. So let's go ahead and roll on into our stat blocks. System neutral pieces that can be worked into an ongoing game or inspiration for your next big game event. All right, Jules, go. <laughs> All right. I have the Library of Ash. If you control information, you control the populace. Horrible acts done in the name of law and order. Burning of books. Defacing of monuments and statues to chronicle, meant to chronicle history. The enactment of Dominato Memoria. I mispronounced that. <laughs> what happens when what has been when what, what has been learned yet forgotten is still tantalizing. Well, the remains of that knowledge become a volume in the Library of Ash, a fragile reminder of what was once achieved by great minds, and that knowledge there may be lost forever with but an errant breath, hard-won insight that may crumble with a whisper of a sycophant. How much has been lost already by the hubris of the foolish or the ambition of the wicked? And what fool would be willing to visit the library to return these fragile bits of knowledge, knowing they will most likely will suffer at the hands of those same ignorant and violent masses? Nice. Thank you. Sorry, I, like I got, it. yeah, I, I got on the, the Smithsonian kick, so I kind of, you know. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Yeah. So, go to Moget. What have you got? Uh, Stierf. Stevedores know the best gossip. It is true, and the good news is that Stierf is always up for spilling the beans. Whenever a ship docks, something has to come off the ship, and something is usually loaded on, and it's the Stevedores who do that. Every single time something is loaded or unloaded, Steer for one of his crew is going to be involved. They fade into the background, doing the work that has to happen, and overhear everything. From a long line of blue-collar zero-G laborers, Steer is as salt of the asteroid as they come, and twice as loyal. To you, for whatever reason. To his union, the organized labor that he supports. And to the idea that 
you do a full day's labor, you get a full day's pay. Do you need help? Do you need an answer? Well, you know who to ask. Fun. I like it. I like it. Nice. I do like that. Oh, yeah. It's a great double-edged sword. Steerf can also drag your players off track if, you know, you really want to do that. But Zen, we saved the best, or at least the longest for last. (laughs) What you got? The Elpis. The year was 2194, and the launch of the Elpis was on track to make history. Never before had mankind thought to send a ship out past the edge of our solar system. Elpis was that ship, though. It was to carry the hopes of man of making mankind a true star-faring race. The belief was that by the time the ship got to our closest neighbor, those here would have found a way to get to them when they arrived. But communication was lost with the ship shortly after it got past Jupiter. Since the crew was in a state of suspended animation, it was just figured that maybe the radiation was playing havoc. After the ship was out of range of it, though, communication was never reestablished. The massive programs that tied all of these countries to this project started to accuse the other of sabotage. It's not long until the Elpis project was written off as a derelict ship with all hands on board lost. That was 60 plus years ago, and Just as a satellite was coming out of the dark side of Jupiter, the signal of Elpis was detected as a distress beacon. What do we do now? Delightful, dude. Delightful. I love it. And for anybody that wants to know, look up Greek and look up the word Elpis. (laughs) (laughs) So... And that's why I, I, I'm just going to leave it right there. And I'm not going to say any more. <laughs> you want to, though, don't you? <laughs> no. Uh. <laughs> okay, I'll spill the beans on it. No, 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 no. No? Okay. People are going to find us on social media. <laughs> that's true. And on they can tell Facebook. us. Yes, our Facebook, our Discord, our Instagram. Find us. If when you heard this, you knew why I started sputtering and twitching, or if you have now gone and figured out why I started sputtering and twitching and had to control myself. Because in the meantime, we're going to go ahead and roll on through, because we're not done yet. Oh no. Zen? An uncommon word that helps improve your descriptions, with a bit of information about those words as well. Okay, so our lexicon this time. The word is offing. Anyone know? You're you're talking about like the true form, not the slang as into like, you know, inhume somebody? As As in like the actual dictionary definition, not the urban dictionary version. Okay. Uh, I only know it as like uh, 
not super future, but near future, but still a bit off. Okay. So it actually, okay. So offing is a noun. The definition, it, there are two specific definitions. One is the part of the deep sea seen before or that you can see from the shore. So as the water, as basically like you can start to see where the continental shelf starts to drop pretty fast, that's where the offing is. And the other definition is the near or foreseeable future as in the offing. So the first known use of offing in the first sense was in 1608. And the history and etymology of offing is it's from Old English to Middle English, and the word is of. And the lookup popularity is top 5% of words. So it's a weird little word, but it sounds cool too. It does. So I wanted something that was kind of future sounding, but not really. That had those ties back to much older. So. Wahaha. Well, guys, we have uh, been pretty, pretty uh, tight on this. So let's go ahead and hit our closing remarks and let's get out. What do you got, Gardemanger? Well, my first inclination and instinct, I realized after the fact that I'd already recommended it in a previous episode. So you should go back around 40 episodes and you'll find it in, in the movie listings. Instead, I'm going to recommend Framing Britney Spears, a new documentary available on Hulu, I believe. That's where I was watching it. Uh, it explores not only the question of Britney Spears and her conservatorship, uh, also, how pop culture and, and constructs of society uh, surrounding her failed her. And it raises really interesting questions for GMs and players to kind of think about as far as you know the rise and fall of icons of culture and, and kind of the feedback loop between the two, especially if you play games that will you know, factor in stories and legend. Um, I play a decent amount of Earth Dawn, and so the concept of legend and legends and the legend points that are in that game you know, kind of come to mind when I see documentaries and stories about modern-day uh, icons, popular uh, politicians, and everyone else, and how all of that kind of feeds into mythology creation. Nice. Interesting. That's cool. I love me some documentaries. Mm-hmm. Well, Zen, what do you have? All right. So, Wasi. So, Wasi is a writing app. It's actually designed specifically for novel writing or whatever type of writing you would do. Now, what's interesting, though, is that you, as a GM, you can really use this as a way of organizing your games. Like I'm actually looking at it and I'm figuring out how I'm going to use it to organize all of my one shots that I'm getting ready to start uh, working on a lot more regularly. 
And the reason is, is that I want to be able to hopefully start recording them and posting them into the feed. And so for me to do that, I need to have all of this stuff organized. And it has a really simple, elegant, organizational system built into it. And the free version has like you're you're capped at like three entries in each thing and you can do three projects. Now, I think the cost of it is like three or four dollars. And that makes it so that it's un- you can just do as many projects as you want. So if that is something that you are interested in, I highly recommend it. It's very easy to use. It's just like tabs and you know, bullet point entries. So you can just go crazy with however you want to write things. Um, Right now, as far as I can tell, there has only ever been an Apple version. So if you have an Android, sorry, you can't use it. So that's what I got. Nice. I've been playing with apps a lot on my uh, new iPad trying to figure out ways to organize game stuff. So there's going to be a bit of that. Awesome. All right. Uh, I am going with a anime I stumbled on called Dororo, not Doro Hey Doro, which I did uh, speak on a couple weeks ago, but this is Dororo. It was a manga. It's been turned into an anime very recently, and you can find it on Amazon Prime. And it takes place during the Warring States period in Japan. And the premise is that a local lord made a deal with demons for his land to be prosperous and for he to rule it. And he said, I'll give you anything. And the demon's price was the arms, legs, eyes, ears, and skin and other body parts of his just-born son. And through luck, kindness of others, and just fate, uh, the kid survives, and as he grows up, he discovers that he can restore his body bit by bit by slaying the demons that his uh, that his dear old dad made a bargain with. So huh. it is. It is dark. It is violent. It is. It's brutal, but it also is the. You know, the whole thing is like if he restores his body, then the pack with the demons is done. And the the entire, uh, the, the all the land, the entire land that the uh, daimyo rules goes back to being like cursed and, and fallow and, and just completely like barren and stuff. So it's just kind of one of those needs of the many, needs of yeah. the few, but holy yeah, crap. Mm hmm. Yeah. So That's it's. Cool. It, yeah, and I'll be honest, they they've got uh, all different I mean the 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 design and the animation of a lot of the demon creatures are just it, it's amazing. I love it. That's cool. <laughs> that so is if cool. you got Prime, you can go watch it. Well, folks, that uh that seems to be the wrap on the show. So Until next time, have fun, roll some dice, play games, and be safe. 
And we will see you guys in two weeks. Thanks for checking in. It was a blast sharing our thoughts and ideas on our topic. We hope that you had a great time with us and could hardly wait to share the next show. In the meantime, let us know how you handled this topic in your own games. You can find us on most social media platforms, especially Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, search for Seize the GM. And if you just want to follow one of us, search for our names on the social media platform of your choice, or go to SeizeTheGM.com for convenient links. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted material referenced herein are held by the respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is Once again, thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you gained some ideas for your ongoing games. Or the inspiration to run your first. Now get out there and play some games. Roll some dice. Be safe, and you'll hear from us again soon.